Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Well, we had a week off. (laughs) More than a week. I've been living in COVID quarantine with a million kids and then myself, of course. Yeah, if anybody out there saw the ad I put in looking for another addiction doctor to do the too podcast bad. with. I felt like I was dying, but I didn't. Yeah, so disregard. I'm back. <laughs> I actually screenshot the one thing you said when you said, I'm dying. And I screenshot that. Oh, yeah. So I have that in my phone. I thought, okay, I got to look for somebody else to do the podcast with. Yeah. The fact that you said you put an ad, no one believes you. <laughs> <laughs> Katie would never have done that to help you. I know. Okay. Anyway, so this, we're back. Um, sorry for the hiatus. We'll try to send out two this week but i wasn't gonna sit in a room with her when she was all covidy right that's not really a word but covidy yeah here too old to risk it even vaccinated <laughs> yeah. i was vaccinated let me just throw that out there and boost it so yeah me too and it was but... still miserable okay so episode alcohol. 87 alcohol blood urine screening tests blood and urine screening tests so i don't want to you know, negate the fact that there are screening tools. And we did just talk about this on an echo and, you know, screening tools that clinicians should just do as part of like healthcare maintenance and clinical exams and visits. You know, there isn't a perfect screening tool. I think it's just something you should work into every office visit, but well, there have, every physical, well, every physical. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. There are some we'll kind of touch on here in a second, but there are people that ask, well, is there a different test that we could just know. And I think the one caveat thing I want to say right off the bat, and you'll hear me probably say it a million times the next however many minutes this takes, this isn't a way to catch people. This isn't a urine drug screen you did. You know, you have to tell the patient you're getting this. You can't just order this blood test and be like, haha, you liar. This is not the purpose of this. We'll talk about the purpose of the blood and urine tests in a minute, but... Yeah, we need to throw that out there. Yeah, when we're doing screening like this, it's it's always after you have a conversation with a patient, right? And again, we're not the police; we're just trying to help, right? So, and especially when you look at the alcohol use disorder, you know, and how common it is. You know, I think what is it? Lifetime prevalence is like one in twelve, right? I mean, isn't that crazy? Yeah, there's two of and us, and I think here. at any given time, it's twenty seven percent of Americans over yeah. the age of eighteen. That would qualify. That would qualify. Not that they are getting treatment. Yeah, and of course, you've got a lot of kids then, of course, living in homes where there's a parent who has a drinking problem or at-risk drinking or right. worse. Exactly. So the official definition of at-risk drinking, drinking too much, is a, I think I put the thing in there, a, a male who drinks more than four drinks per day, um, or it's what, 15 drinks per week. And a woman who drinks more than three a day, and it's like eight drinks a week. So the binge version or the total consumption of the week version, Mm. right? Well, and and you're saying that at any time drinks more than four in a day. At any time drinks more than four in a day for a male. But if you're looking at the week total, it should be 
I think it's more 15. than 14. It's 15 for mm-hmm. more than 14. So it really averages out to about two a day for men, one a day for women. That's not a goal to achieve. It's just, this is where if you cross that, then we start getting concerned. Yep. And but, of course the, how you quantify it is really an issue nowadays, especially when you look at, you know, a, a 12 ounce ultra beer, which is very low alcohol. It's a lot different than an IPA. Yes. So a 12 ounce bottle of beer, like, you know, the, the beer when all these things were developed, like a course light kind of deal. We're not advertising. It's just to kind of get people in their minds, five ounce glass of wine. And now when you can buy wine glasses that can hold the whole bottle, that is not one drink. The Seriously? Whole there's, there's wine glasses that hold a bottle. Yeah. I've never seen that. Or a 1.5 ounce. So like a regular shot and that's not that much. Nope. So that's where the questions in clinic come in is how much are you drinking or how many drinks? You kind of have to dive down and figure out what does that actually mean? You know, how many days does it take to get through a case of beer? What kind of beer do you drink? And it's important too that you ask other questions. I had a patient that said, no, I quit drinking. And I said, oh, really? And he says, yeah, I just drink beer now. And his idea was the beer was not a problem. Right. It was the hard liquor that was. So, you know, it's not just the, the common things being common, but there's a lot of complications of chronic alcohol use. Malnutrition, you know, a person who drinks a lot might look overweight or obese, but they're not, they don't have the nutritional value. You know, they're getting a lot of the empty calories from the beer, but they're not necessarily eating um, or the eating the right foods. So they're actually quite malnourished in some cases. Yeah, and of course, long-term, you get a lot of issues with, liver disease, cardiomyopathy. Did I just say that wrong? Yep. Cardiomyopathies and, uh, you know, stroke and such. Pancreatitis. Yeah. Never good. Chronic and pancreatitis. Obviously, the pregnant population, fetal alcohol syndrome, and, you know, still there is no safe amount during pregnancy. Someone can have very little and have a child with fetal alcohol syndrome, and someone can have a lot and be okay, but there is no safe amount. One thing I want to say that's not on here kind of with the cardiomyopathy is one of the signs to kind of be concerned about is if a patient comes in and their diastolic, the bottom number of blood pressure is weirdly high. So, you know, 126 over 90, that's, you kind of, at least in the back of your mind, got to think about alcohol. What, what would be causing that diastolic number to be elevated? Yeah, definitely. So I think that, uh, you have a little thing in here about COVID. Just the fact that yeah. people drank more, especially younger people, more stress, coping mechanism. Well, a lot of the data from the uh, other countries, especially European countries, the sales, you know, up 50, 60, 70%. It's incredible. There you go. Okay. So there were, I don't even know what that's supposed to say. So we'll just jump on. Screening tools. CDC recommends doing quick screening tools in clinic can reduce medical complications and costs. Whether it's a formal form you have a patient fill out or it's just how you add it to a conversation is important. Um, Single question questions that are easy. How many times in the past year have you had more than five drinks a day for men, three drinks a day for women, just to kind of get an assessment? Hmm. It's just simple, quick, and easy. But Of course, the cage is the one that everybody always leans on. Right. You know, cut down, you know, annoyed, guilt, eye-opener. So, I think the one that always concerns me the most is the eye opener. Eye opener. And what that really is, is you're in that withdrawal state in the morning. You're kind of feeling hungover, if you will, and you 
take that drink to take that feeling away or you feel like you just have to drink the first thing you wake up in the morning. I think it's always tough too to get people to quantify, you know. I think mm-hmm. one of the most common things I hear sometimes in this area is say, well, you know, how much alcohol are you drinking? Well, I drink my share. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? So. Another one is the T-ACE. So it really focuses on tolerance. So how many drinks does it take you to feel like you've had a drink? The A would be... <laughs> annoyed so do you get annoyed when other people are criticizing your drinking Uh, and then it's the whole have you tried to cut down in the eye opener thing again so a little bit more sensitive actually than the cage and about the same specificity Mm. and then the ras we're we're almost done with these these are just options for people the r-a-p-s four raps four raps four similar to the cage so the r remorse do you have guilt after drinking um, the whole annoy, or did someone ever say things you said that you don't remember? So I don't know where the A comes in, like amnesia, maybe. P failed to do as expected of you, so poor performance, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what it's for. An S eye opener, I, I, I don't know. These don't really fit the letters, but yeah, it's more. It fits across more of the population. The cages and is good for women. This one's good for everybody. And of course, the audit. I love the audit. Multiple choice, zero to four scores. Yeah, it breaks down more of the same kind of questions, but it quantifies it. You get a point for how much more, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to go through all the questions. And then the masked, a whole bunch of questions that are yes or no, really works in adolescence as well, but it does take longer because of the 20 questions, 22 questions. So look those up if you want to know, but just... Again, conversation is the good things. I think too, a lot of times, you know, we have these screening tools, but when you look at, when you look sometimes the history, you don't need the screening tools. And a, for instance, would be, I had a guy who fell off a piece of machinery at 10 in the morning. And when they checked his blood alcohol, and he was, of course, at work, when they checked his blood alcohol, he was 0.15 and right. was 10 in the morning. And I think that's where that whole one question on mm-hmm. the TAs comes in, like how many drinks because yeah. he felt totally fine. He felt totally, and he looked and acted totally normal. So I think that sometimes right there, that's, in my opinion, the diagnosis. I don't need a screen. Right. Um, okay, so now we're going to kind of look at some of the biomarkers. This is kind of where we're getting into this whole talk. So some of the biomarkers that, you know, historically have been used, but you do need to remember there's how alcohol gets absorbed, absorption in the stomach and intestine. And then there's three ways that alcohol is actually eliminated. And this is how it's going to help determine which one of these are the best tests to do. And so most of it goes to the liver, the the way we, we think about it, the alcohol dehydrogenase, cytochrome P450, a small percentage goes out unchanged through the urine, the sweat and the breath. And then a very small amount, less than a percentage, goes through this thing of non-oxidative metabolism, which is where these direct biomarkers come from that is kind of where we're going to end up today. Um, Mm. So we'll talk more about that in a bit. And then there's a bunch of indirect. These are the ones we learn about in med school, the ones when you're on impatient rotations. These are like when you're you're playing cards, these are an inkle. You know, like, (laughs) hmm, I've got an inkle if you're from northern Minnesota. Right. And these take more time to become abnormal. By the way, speaking of northern Minnesota, I don't know if you're following how many people, what percentage of our downloads are in Europe. Well, it's 5%. If you're from Europe, feel free to just send something to our Facebook. Or the Facebook. Yeah, it's really interesting that we got people in Europe and Australia. I would just love to interview you, ask questions. Yeah. But anyway, back to the indirect. Indirect takes time. And again, these are 
liver enzymes, a lot of them. And so it doesn't give you the function of the liver. It just kind of are byproducts in a way. Yep. It's an ankle. An ankle. But the MCV, I think, is the one we, you know, I mean, medical school, that's the first thing you were always looking at. No, I always learned the AST over ALT ratio. Yeah. You know, you get this MCV, it's 105. And yeah, there's other things that can be, but Sometimes when you put the whole situation together, it's like, mm. yeah, if you see that MCV over hundred, yeah. you're always thinking alcohol B12 folate. Yeah. It's not. And obviously it's not sensitive. Right. And, but again, a lot of it, if someone's earlier in abstinence, it still can take time for that to recover because of the lifespan of the red blood cells. Plus it can and, also be mixed. I mean, it can be mixed because of their malnutrition and, and alcohol. And so it can true. be multiple things. So, so the AST ALT ratio these, if it's, if it's two to one, so the AST is two times higher than the ALT, it's suggesting. But once you get to that three to one, it's even more suggesting. Um, and it, you know, it's elevated in other liver things and it's also can be elevated in because of other injury to other things in your body, like your heart muscle and kidneys. So back in the day, if you saw this ratio or saw that they were elevated, you'd get a GGT, which then to confirm it came from the liver. This isn't done as much anymore. No. And just to kind of throw it out there, if people are learning about this stuff, it's not going to be in the thousands. These are going to be in the hundreds elevated. They're not going to be in the thousands. If you're ASCL or ALT or in the thousands, you're thinking something more autoimmune or infection. Total and aside, but important to know. So the MCV we already talked about. <laughs> But the CDT. This was the is, one that we learned about when we were taking our board test, and it was like the coolest thing ever. It is cool. And now it's like going out of favor already. Yeah. I mean, it's like it was hot two or three years ago, the C- CDT, the carbohydrate deficient transferrin. And, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it gives you an ankle again of, of whether people have kind of that moderate to heavy alcohol use. It's basically the A1C of alcohol use. So it kind of gives you, you know, is, the, the, is this steady drinking? Right, right. But it only takes about two weeks to get back to quote-unquote normal. But it can also be, a, you have to order it specially. Because if you order just the CDT, it can actually come up with some autoimmune thingy. So you have to remember to write in there that it's the alcohol one. Yeah, and I think it's important to, to note that this is approved by the FDA as an assay for alcohol consumption. So it's, you know, I think it's got some pretty good data with it. Right. So let's jump into the direct, the ones that are direct, because the CDT even can be elevated with other things and isn't isn't diagnostic, if you will. So the direct, directly related to the amount of consumption, because the only way these are elevated is if you consume ethanol. So that seems pretty obvious, pretty obvious. And they reflect the consumption over a period of several days. Mm. So simply, you could just plain old measure the ethanol itself. Mm. But... It's only detectable for six to 12 hours. Yeah. And you would, yeah. And of course it's low enough that you can't, but yeah, I, you know, I think that this is what we all think about when you get pulled over, you blow, you blow 0.1, Mm -hmm. 0.5. But you know, they sometimes will follow this, you know, even in the hospital, if you show up in the hospital, they will get a blood level, especially if you're like in a car accident and you're not even able to, to do this, but yeah. And of course, much of the window of this is really dependent on how much you consumed. And, you know, everybody's kind of got their elimination rate. Remember, this is, you know, a dir- direct, you know, there's what, zero. In first order. In first this order. is first order. And this is first order. So you drop the same amount every, every hour. hour, regardless of how much, how is much there. you have there. Yeah. So it's uh, it's first order. 
So when you get a level greater than 300 or 0.3 without out evidence of intoxication. So this is your dude who's working and looks totally fine and hasn't elevated. That's a pretty good indication that they have an alcohol use disorder. Intolerance. Intolerance. If you just happen to get this level when you're seeing a patient for a physical and they happen to be over a 0.1, probably have a problem. Isn't that? I mean, I, I've never like done this just randomly just to mm. S's and G's, but you know. Yeah. So moving on. Moving on. ETG and ETS. I want you to tell me what those stand for. Yeah, those are hard to say. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. The glucuronacil transferase and sulfotransferase, whatever. Yeah, I can't say them fast. Mm-mm. Okay, so you get these in the urine. Um, this is important if you're going to do these to monitor relapse. So a person who's needing to be monitored, they do this, um, like HPSP, the state program that monitors health professionals, they will get these. These are the tests they use because it, it can give you, if you're drinking a single drink 13 to 20 hours after a single drink, so not super long, but if you're doing, um, drinking larger amounts or drinking for multiple days at a time, it can actually find these four to five days after ingestion. Wow. Even after just a couple of drinks, you can still test positive more than 24 hours. Yes. So, I mean, it, it can pick stuff up. So, again, it's the workplace testing like HPSP, monitoring withdrawal treatments, legal matters um, is where they're going to use more the ETG. But there, Yeah, so there's a difference between where you'd want to use those ETS or ETG, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, most people just order them together. Mm. Yeah, so the ETS, it can be up to 12 hours in the blood, but it can actually last a little bit longer, up to five days in the urine, versus the ETG is is a little bit more limited in a way. Mm. Either way, it's usually several days if they're drinking a lot. Easy to do because it's in the urine. There you know, it's nice that there's not a ton of false positives. Although it's kind of funny, this list of false positives. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, you know... Maybe you're trying to get a false positive and you use the mouthwash. I mean, everybody knows mouthwash a lot. It has a little alcohol in it. Right. So I wonder if we should do a podcast on the amount of mouthwash it would take to get, you know, intoxicated and Mm -hmm. or to impact a urine test. Anyway, so if they have E. coli, it didn't say how much. Like, is this a trace infection? Is this a severe, like, urosepsis In the thing? specimen? In the specimen, which is a urine test. So you have a bladder infection. Okay. I mean, so if someone has a bladder infection, which is, this was a big thing with HPSP for a patient of mine. She had a horrible raging infection, and they said she didn't pass her ETG, ATS. Mm. Um, and we fought it. We won, because I got, you know, our good friend Beth Bilden involved, the toxicologist, but... Hand sanitizer, if you're using it like a million times a day. So this would be a little bit tricky for me then when you're talking HPSP, if you're talking about nursing and all of those and you're in the hospital and you're using hand sanitizers a day that are alcohol-based. Yeah, I'd say there's days where I, I use oh. 15, 20 times. I mean, if you're seeing yeah. 20 patients a day, you're using it, you're foaming in and foaming out. Yeah, twice, yeah, 30, 40 times. But I mean, a lot of places have moved to chlorhexidine, what? but... Okay, what's the deal with pralines? I don't know. I didn't look it up, but... So be careful with the pralines, because that could give you a false positive. And fruit juice. Yeah. No more fruit juice. But, uh, you know, non-alcoholic beer is not completely zero. Correct. That's... I mean, everybody... You know, I drink an occasional fake beer, and there is a teeny bit in there. Yeah. 
And then some meds. Um, the ET, that was ETS can be false positive. ETG, um, bacteria there, if they're transported it without cooling, that's stored improperly. These are rare things because most, you know, CLIA labs have, you know, monitored all this. But, okay, we should get moving to the really exciting ones. Okay, I'm all ears. The FAEE, fatty acid ethyl ester. So it's a bunch of different esters that you can monitor or measure in the blood from non-oxidative pathway, that small pathway. Um, it's just weird. Can differentiate chronic alcohol consumption from binge drinking. Interesting. So it's elevated for 99 hours roughly in heavy drinkers and in hair for longer, obviously. Um, but it's more that binge drinking. So you're probably not going to catch it long term. But if you were to get it and it's super elevated, they're probably being more of a binge drinker because it's going to go up really high and it's going to come down really fast mm. is what it's saying. I think it's pretty interesting that it shows up in meconium. Yes, because it hangs out in the certain tissue. So this... This is a meconium test, which wow. they do do these. Mm. But the new gold standard, which you've all been waiting for, PETH, phospholipid um, found in erythrocyte membranes. Peth. Peth. Mm. So it's ethanol and the phosphatidylcholine catalyzed by phospholipid D, obviously. You don't even know what that means. Actually, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so there was this study... This is, you guys, it, it, we don't just make all this stuff up. We actually do. Well, we make some of it up. Well, whatever. But a lot of this does come from studies or our board books and all of those things. So this study by Anderson Schreikert et al. in 2017 actually quoted this thing as the transformative effect, transformative. It's transformative. <laughs> COVID you, brain. Didn't you have an English COVID minor? brain. I did. Transformative. Transformative effect and the diagnosis of alcohol use disorder. We'll edit that out. No, we won't. <laughs> Look like a dark. Long half-life and specificity because red blood cells do not have the enzymes to degrade this peth. So it accumulates in the red cells and has a half-life of up to four to 10 days. But you can detect back three to four weeks because, again, the life cycle of red blood cells is 120 days. So you got to, you know, you're, you have roughly a four-week window to check back. Wow. That is really interesting. And, and, in fact, it talks about how it's not affected by age or gender or renal disease or hepatic disease. It's just there. It's just there. And interesting, it's a basically, essentially, 100% specific because PETH cannot be formed. It's never been shown to be formed in the absence of ethanol. So you actually need ethanol there um, hmm. to make it. So if it's there, they've been having alcohol. Wow. Isn't that great? And even after 28 days of no intake of alcohol. It can be detected. It can still be there. So I think this should maybe be the new measurement. Can you order this? Any idea? You can, but I'll get to that in a second. Oh. So. Drum roll. You can identify recent heavy drinking earlier. And again, it doesn't, re you know, depend on this uh, hepatic injury, which is huge. Um, people who, especially I would think like liver transplant patients that mm. they don't want to give if they're drinking a lot of alcohol, uh. this you know, they already have liver abnormalities. That's why they need a liver transplant. And but this isn't affected this by doesn't it. Affect it by it. So they actually, the World Health Organization actually, quote, defines acceptable social alcohol use. So measurement less than 40 for men, less than 20 for women. Hmm. Chronic excessive, more than 60. Just so these. False positive is possible, but it's usually related. And this is in multiple studies because people were dishonest. So really, it's not really a false positive. Hmm. That's interesting. Go. But so, if you're at super, super low levels, super low levels, 
they always want to recommend rechecking because yeah. you know the gray zone. But I th- it's interesting that it looks like in that study they they showed a correlation between the audit C and the path level. Yes. So again, audit C. My and favorite I, test. And see, I never really feel like people completely tell the truth on those tests. Right. Oh, I, I was supposed to like keep this last page open yeah. and then I close it. So we're going to get to cost once I find I, it. Okay. I can't I can't believe this is cheap. So for one test, it's 100 to $200, but then you also have to pay the 40 to $100 for the or to for the an- analysis. Uh, so roughly 200 to $300, turnaround time 5 to 10 days. And look at me, I forgot I wrote this and recommended assay by transplant hepatologist. Wow. So, so yeah, the values, I kind of talked about that, but it's interesting to me, I'm going to talk about them again really quickly because we're already way long-winded today. Yeah, it's because um, you were doing most of the talking. It, there's big ranges. So less than 20, no alcohol use, light alcohol consumption, um, averaging fewer than two drinks per day, several day, several times... A week so huh. which would be considered you know like the acceptable amount according to all the other testing studies blah mm. blah blah it's considered the normal greater than 200 so this is a significantly different number um heavy alcohol consumption averaging at least four drinks per day for several days of a week um nia a a national mm. institute in alcohol and abuse yeah mm-hmm. and samsa Consider that heavy drinking and very, very high risk and very high risk. If you're in the middle range, 200 to 220 to 200, there is still considered significant alcohol consumption, moderate level of drinking, two to four drinks a day, um, regardless men and women. So uh, women, this would already be too high. Still considering low to medium risk categories. And this is where you're going to want to do your brief interventions and you're going to want to like start having these conversations if you already haven't. Mm, so PEF is the way to go, P-E-T-H. That is the way to go um, if you're really needing to, yeah, otherwise the audit C. Audit That's why C I took and the this. Correlated. <laughs> well, you just wrapped that up in what, six hours? Oh, hold on. It's only been like 25 well, because minutes. Because we didn't have one last week. I thought people would really be interested to listen to a long-winded one. Alcohol is always a hot topic. It I, is the most common. I think clearly people could probably tell that COVID did nothing to your brain. You're just as sharp as normal. <laughs> <laughs> that was like such an old man laugh. <laughs> all right anyway well thanks everybody all the way to australia listening and uh i think next week are we gonna do that south africa even marijuana and covid sure we can definitely do that one next okay so there's been just listen marijuana and covid i know it doesn't sound like it's a addiction one but it totally is yeah all right well thanks everyone for listening we'll let Casey, add a little music on it. Thanks.
I went to the university where they were put in boxes, and they all came out the same. And there's doctors and lawyers and business executives, and they're all made out of ticky tacky, and they all look just the same. And they all play on the golf course and drink. Martinis dry, and they all have three children, and the children go to school, and the children go to summer camp, and then to the university where they are put in boxes, and they all come out the same.